Jack waited until two in the morning. He didn't know how long this ritual would last, and he couldn't risk running into the marlin spikes. As for the priest, well, Jack hoped he'd prove reasonable. Finally, Jack crept through the shadows like an alley cat. He peered over a rotten, broken-down settee and saw the shrine. It was deserted. He came closer, edging against the walls. The shrine was a large yellow box with blood-red trim. The side was open and had a curtain hanging in front of a set of tin platters for incense. There was a mirror inside the shrine. Jack stopped dead and his heart began to pound. He saw a tall pile of gold coins on a tiny wooden platform in the heart of the shrine. Jack would have to take his shirt off and use it as a satchel. No problem. He'd be wiping his rear end with silk shirts after this. He crept forward. He knelt. No lie. It was a pile of gold. He leapt up silently and began dancing a jig, careful to slide his feet around without raising them. You a woman the mere sphinx or something? Came a cynical drawl. Jack gave a start. He whirled around and saw the marlin spikes emerging from stoops and piles of trash. Jack knew that this was very, very bad news. Of what it was worth, Andrada Anaconda was not present. You want me to empty my pockets into the shrine? You just say so, said Jack. Uh, you got a nobleman's horse in there? A thug in a ragged stevedore's coat and nothing but a saw-stained scarf beneath stepped forward. He had stitch marks and distorted tattoos across his chest and belly, and his shaggy, greasy black hair was bound on top of his head with twine. No, but I can tell you where to find it, Jack said carefully. That horse don't mean shit. What's important in this town is peace of mind. You know why the Marlins ain't gotten squeezed out yet, bird boy? No. Because we give the high and mighty peace of mind. They call me Mastiff. Know why? Why? Because I'm an attack dog. Andrada, Lord Carver, don't matter. There's a pecking order in this town. I know how to sit right on top of it. But you, you Jackie boy, you put your beak where it don't belong. So what's next? The man shrugged. Peace of mind. The thugs advanced on Jack. They seemed to form a wall of lean, hard, leather-clad bodies. Jack grimaced and took a step backwards. He turned away from them and slid a hand into his pocket. When they were feet away, he threw silver coins into their faces. He saw the coins bounce, shimmering in the moonlight. A few of the thugs winced and slowed down, but the others rushed into Jack, who was almost bowled over by the crush of bodies, legs, and fists, leather and rank, unwashed wool. Jack swung and caught one of them across his stubbly cheek, but another slugged him in the gut. Jack felt like he'd been cut in half. He took a step backwards. Another marlin punched Jack hard in the temple and he staggered to the side, nearly tripping over their feet. Jack's momentum carried him into the shrine. He leaned on it for a split second, but hands fell on his shirt and tore him away. He felt blows raining all over him. He tried to swing, but they caught his arms. He tasted blood. One of them body slammed him and he found himself on his back in an instant. Their boots bounced across his body over and over. It didn't hurt. Each impact was like a splash, a register of force. The pain of such things would come later. They stood over Jack for a moment, their bodies silhouetted against the bone-white clouds. Then one of them knelt over Jack, placed a hand on his chest, and hammered a knife into his eye. The blade cut all the way through, one to the bottom of his socket and deep into his head, coming to rest just above his gums. Jack felt this. It was like taking the mightiest punch that had ever been thrown. The man raised the knife out, and dropped a perfunctory second blow through Jack's cheek, scraping across his molars from the inside, jabbing deep into the back of Jack's mouth, and then a third blow and into his neck, across the esophagus and just above the collarbone. Then the man stood up and wiped the knife on his own trousers. Jack could see who it was in the moonlight. It was Mastiff, 
One of the gang spat on him, and they gathered up their coins from the shrine and departed. One of them kicked Jack in the head on the way out, but he barely felt it. The cobblestones were strangely comfortable. Jack felt an impetus to stay right there on top of them no matter what. He felt incredibly weak, helpless, despondent. Every time he tried to look anywhere except straight up at the sky, he was racked with agony, as if he were worsening his wounds. He could breathe only by holding the blood out of his windpipe with his tongue. He siphoned it up and poured it down his cheeks. Jack decided it would be easier to breathe if he rolled onto his side. With splitting agony and a weak neck, he pushed himself onto his side. His body was severely bruised. Bones were probably broken. But the Marlins hadn't stabbed him in the body, and rolling over was easier than he anticipated. Blood gushed from his mouth onto the cobblestones between him and the shrine. He wanted to see himself, to see his eye, which was blind. He reached under his head with a hand and pushed himself up enough to see the mirror in the shrine. The mirror was clouded in darkness. There were twelve gleaming crystalline eyes in a circle looking at him, and they narrowed in turn as his face came level with the mirror. Jack's eyes went wide in half-felt agony. A voice spoke in Jack's head with his own voice. You've forgotten me, man of Saxon, but I will help you remember. I will make you forget everything of lesser importance than my blessing and counsel. No, wait, Jack said, but the eyes in the mirror seemed to spin into an infinitely fast whirl, which made his stomach churn and his head grow light. At last, his world was obliterated by a screaming wall of force, which consumed gravity, time, and memory. He floated naively in a void of whirling light, trying but unable to recover what he'd known moments before. All became flat, compressed, silent. A disembodied vision of asensate emptiness. Jack came back to himself laying on his side, on the deadly hard cobblestones. He was facing the shrine. The dawn hadn't broken, but it was heralded by lavender light, which tinged the sky over the gothic arches and stiletto spires of Saxarm. Jack was in agony. Had he fallen from a building? Had he been hit by a shotgun blast? He grimaced deeply as somebody shook his arm with a tight, bony grip. I'm alive! Jack slurred with his maimed and blood-encrusted mouth. He felt like his head was going to explode. He was desperately dehydrated. Who did this to you? came the voice of an old man. Jack exhaled in thought. He couldn't remember. He couldn't remember anything. He cast his mind back with a sudden panic. He could remember only one image. His mother. He could remember a dark, amber-lit room. Cat. Think, said Jack. He wanted to say remember, but this was beyond him. Ah, said the old man. He shuffled around at Jack's front. The man wore a long, sky-colored robe, which ran over the cobblestones like spilling paint. His beard wafted from his face as if a drifting cloud, though he was bald otherwise. He knelt and looked into Jack's face. You've been stabbed. Several times by the looks of it, you may die. Jack was consumed with anguish. The priest studied him intently, and his face hardened. The men who stabbed you. What would you do if you were healthy, and they were kneeling before you, disarmed and vulnerable? I... I asked them what they were looking for. And say so you had no money for food, and you were going to starve. What would you do then? Jack wondered what the meaning of this could be. I'd find somebody who needed help, and... Ask them for food if I helped them. Hmm. And who is the most important person in the world to you? My mother. The priest nodded. I know you. You're Jack Dahl. A thief. You've shat where you ate. You steal from the city. Even though the fathers have asked you thieves to commit your crimes abroad. You've stolen from shrines and priests. 
You've beaten innocent people, stolen from poor as well as rich. You've probably left bastards and broken homes in your wake. No, I can't be. Jack's last memories were being with his mother, sitting on a spring mattress with her, loving her, comforting her while she cried. That was who he was. He wasn't a thief like the wicked men who seemed to orbit his mother, breaking into their world in that little room and violating it with their presence. Those men were coming into focus now, too. Your memory has been destroyed, as it has for many people in our city lately. A tumor of the mind. But if I could have stopped it working on you, I wouldn't have. My brain. Does it hurt? I can't say if it was damaged when you were attacked. But no one else who lost his memory has been beaten. He peered deep into Jack's maimed face. Help me, please. The crouching priest shook his hands free of his robes and searched Jack's empty pockets, unsmiling. He laid his arms across his thighs and looked down at Jack's face. There's only one group who would help you, and I'm loath to bring you there. The sodality of the broken threshold. The fraternity of wealthy enthusiasts of thievery. They would take you in because you were a criminal. Soon they'd have you back to your old ways for their amusement. Jack tried to shake his head and he grimaced. No, was all he could muster. The priest stood up. You chose to destroy other people's destinies for your own comfort and convenience. If you could start again and live differently, would you? We'll see. The pressure will be on you to be a criminal once again. We'll find out if the first time was a fluke, or if you really are evil to the core. The priest swept around Jack and up the alleyway. Don't get up unless the rats start eating your eyes. An ox cart was brought from the fields. Ruddy farmers hauled Jack up the lanes of Terrace Tunnel Hill, and he bounced in agony over thousands of rough cobblestones. Finally, at the height of his ordeal, he saw spire-like dagger towers mugging the clouds above Terrace Tunnel Hill, and the sweating farmers brought the cart to a stop. Jack was carried on a board into a vast, cool hall where water reflected light onto the mosaic ceiling. Jack heard a voice. Summon physicians from the Organa Terrarium. Yes, my lord. Might I suggest the apothecaries of Bloodlet Hollow? The prices of the brethren of the Organa Terrarium are extortionate. Perhaps among gong farmers and cricket collectors. Be on your way. Yes, my lord. A man appeared above Jack. He wore a satin doublet and a free-flowing velvet tabard, sporting imagery of sailing ships. He gazed down at Jack's perforated face. Jack Dodd, the sunlight sparrow, brought to death's doorstep and then to mine. Don't worry, my brave young man. My hard-hearted seneschal is nowise in charge of your fate. Once you recover, you'll eat and drink with my companions and regale us with your tales. We'll toast you and celebrate you, and when you're ready, you'll return to the world and continue on your daring adventures. Jack looked up at him. He wanted to tell the man that he would work for him and pay his debt some other way. The man looked down at Jack with admiration and compassion. Jack said nothing, opening his mouth with uncertainty. Then the man patted him on the chest and walked away. Surgeries followed. Days of tense contemplation, staring at the glimmering ceiling. Jack knew that he lay next to a pool of some kind, but he could never quite turn his head enough to see it. Then came the draining of fluids, clear and bloody. They splashed in the pans and onto the midnight blue tile. Lancets, scoops, forceps, hell, torture. His bed was moved to a garden during the days. Lavender and hibiscus bobbed in the wind as bees weaved around them. A little burbling river ran past Jack's bed, some days, the lord of the manor would step across the rocks in the river to check on Jack's progress, giving him a bracing smile. Once or twice, others came with him, 
men wearing images of towers and railroads, and fire-eyed genteel ladies. Jackdaw, they would say. He was grateful for the garden, and for his treatment. His memory was such that he could understand concepts, but could think of no examples beyond what he'd seen since the priest had found him. He had no memories except of his mother. She was all. He had to find her, he knew. But moreover, he had to prove that he wasn't a violator of human beings. The priest had helped him. The Lord had helped him. His mother had dandled him. The men who stabbed him were unreal to Jack. Who did he identify with? The pragmatic priest in the industry of the men who were healing him, obviously. They weren't thieves, even though Jack thought his host was misguided in his love of crime. Jack remembered the ogres who would bang into his mother's room. Those were criminals. Jack knew that, and he'd become one, but no more. Jack's eye was gone, but his voice box was intact, and finally he could speak. One day, when the man came by to check on him, Jack looked over at him and said, Thank you. The man beamed. The honor is all mine, Mr. Daw. How are you feeling? How is your ability to speak? I've been speaking to myself under my breath, so just to practice. I'm feeling much better. I can lay still with comfort now, but my body feels like it wants to walk around. Yes, and you must be hungry. How have the eggs been going down? Just fine, sir. I'm grateful for everything you've done for me. It would mean the world to me if I could pay you back. Ha! Speak nothing of it, my friend. Money matters little to me now. What matters is adventure. Men like you, Jack, inspire men like me. I am bound in an arena of treaties and taxes. You, you live in the ultimate arena. You're a hunter amongst predator and prey. Look at you. You'll have marvelous scars from this, Jack. You'll be a tiger, no longer the child prodigy. I wear ships on my back, but you, you have the true mark of your profession. Jack looked at the sky in dismay. Jack, we'll have dinner tonight. You'll meet friends of mine. They'll be eager to meet you, too. Your trial's almost over. Take in the sunshine and look forward to your first real food in weeks. We'll have pudding and custard and things that'll go down easy. The man squeezed Jack's arm and strolled off for a pair of huge oak doors set into the side of his stone brick manor. Jack hadn't walked for some time, as the physicians were concerned about cut muscles in his neck. When a pair of servants in tunics and tights came to help him, he found that he was as stiff as though he were in a cast, but that he could walk without a problem. The sun was lowering in the sky, and Jack was grateful to leave the cool courtyard. The servants opened the double doors for Jack. It was a dining hall with a twenty-foot table laden with food and wine, in front of a great roaring fireplace where long logs were burning. Numerous men in clean, tidy, and stylish garb were sitting around the table, discoursing casually and jovially. They fell silent and stood up as Jack entered the room, flanked by their attentive servants. The man of the house was at the head of the table. There was a tall, empty, leather-backed chair to his right. Welcome, Jack Daw, to Tradegrift Hall. Your place is ready. Jack walked slowly and stiffly to the seat at the Lord's right hand. As he approached the table, lit by chandelier candelabras, the man began a polite round of applause. The Lord smiled. Jack sat and the rest of the men followed suit. You've made your closest getaway yet, Jack, said the man. All the guests leaned over their plates and looked at Jack. There was food of every description, roast meats and pools of juice, buttery pies with flaking crusts, bowls of pears and pomegranates, stews and silver decanters with ladles hidden in their necks, beds of golden roasted potatoes with savory green beans, 
and soft, round carrots on top. Jack had a constellation of little dishes around his gleaming, gold-rimmed dinner plate. Steak tartare dressed in peppercorn sauce on a little golden dais. A chilled custard filled with blended cherry cobbler topped with a dollop of lemon meringue. A raised bowl of molten fudge treacle with a little pilot light active beneath it. A golden goblet brimming with mashed pear and a saucer of tomato bisque spattered with a rosemary reduction. Go ahead, Jack, said the man after a few moments. Jack bowed his head slightly, but gratefully, and began to eat the pear with a long spoon. To his deprived palate, the pears tasted as if they'd been engineered by God for his personal delight. The fruit of paradise, locked away from the preponderance of mankind by the fact of their regular meals. Everyone else began to serve themselves at once. The Lord gave Jack a keen eye. So, Jack, we're all very curious about your latest brush with death. Would you regale us with the tale of this battle against knife-wielding killers? Jack finished his bite and said, I'm sorry, sir, but I can't remember anything about the people who stabbed me. Ah. Well, you must have been severely concussed in the fight. That's to be expected. Why don't you tell us about the time you ran out of the Teamsters Gala with the donation bowl on top of your head? I've always been curious about how you got in there in the first place. Jack sighed and took a bite of the heavenly custard to give himself a moment. I'm sorry, sir, but I can't remember that either. It seems that my memories have been taken away from me. Jack looked around at the guests as their faces fell. The priest who had me brought to you said, This has been a common happening in the city. The Lord wiped his mouth with a handkerchief and cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, that is a disappointment. I know my guests and I had all hoped to be regaled with tales of your daring exploits until late at night, Jack, but... If your memories have been taken away, then there's nothing to be done about it. This has been a blight upon our city since the dawning of the New Year Festival, and alas, the heroes of the underworld seem not to be exempt. But I have an idea of what we could do tonight to make this interesting for us all. Gentlemen, why don't we use our collective knowledge and our own personal repositories of thieves' tales to help Jack prepare for his next daring raid? The men looked around, nodding, relieved. Jack silently tasted his bisque. He could have drank a gallon of it. A man spoke up. I have heard that a mandricorn frigate will be docking in Cape Chitticot on the second leg of a treasure cruise. It'll be like a floating jewelry casket. They're unlikely to have a full crew after such a perilous journey. Mm, and I know of an expedition that's being planned in Troutbridge for a trek into the place of things. They're likely to have a centralized pay apparatus, which would be right for the picking. Oh, and Jack, the Princess of Vineforest is known for commissioning new panoplies of jewelry every other month. Perhaps if you could secretly woo her, you could abscond with a bag of her glitter while she's having the guards look the other way. Jack closed his eyes and lowered his head. It was time. He looked up and around at the guests with an open face. My lords, I appreciate your desire to help me. But I don't want to rob anybody. Whoever I was before I lost my memory, I now regret what I did. They looked at him in stunned silence. Please understand that I feel more gratitude for your care and hospitality than I can express. You saved my life, and I will be forever in your debt. It breaks my heart to think about the efforts and the care of so many people being wasted because someone came and exploited the attention they'd be giving to some other task. I hope the sailors from Mandrake find what they were looking for. I hope the expedition to the Place of Things comes back safely. I hope that the Princess of Vineforest... I hope that our jeweler makes her happy. My lords, I don't want to steal anymore. I hope I can give back to you for what you've given me and then someday travel to find my mother. 
The Lord let out a little worried laugh and stroked his mustache. Jack, you are a saucy joker. A true thespian. Sir, I mean what I say. If you value me as a role model, I ask that you allow me to become one of your servants and show you what I have it in my heart to do. I will repay my debt to you by cleaning your home, tending your linens, taking care of your guests, whatever else you ask of me, so long as I can contribute to your lives. And The Lord was sitting very upright and grimacing at Jack now. Well, I can't believe it. What kind of thief are you? One drubbing and you turn chicken shit? I'm not a thief, sir. I'd like to be a servant or a gardener or... Oh, and have you trained as a valet? Do you know the first thing about botany? No, sir, but... But do you think that I'm incapable of finding professionals to see to the details of my life? They are domestics. They are gardeners. You are a thief. Yet you refuse to do your job, and you ask me for another. We are not serving you stick tartare and custard because you're a gardener. Look around you. Do the servants sit at this table, or do they tarry in the shadows? Jack was silent. We brought you here to serve as an inspiration. We saved you and brought you forth because you did things other men couldn't and wouldn't. We brought you here because you were a hero. And now you're nothing but a caitiff. I haven't saved your life, Jack. I've created a pauper. You shouldn't lionize thieves, said Jack quietly. You're businessmen. Thieves should idolize you, not the other way around. I don't think you should do this anymore, my lord. And now the cur disrespects me at my own table, said the lord. You've lost your memories, yet you think yourself a sage. I think it's time you remembered why you turned to thievery in the first place. He nodded at the servants. Expel this wreckage, and clear a spot from the table. Jack stood up and stepped between the two servants who'd emerged promptly from the shadows. They guided him through a reception hall, which was lined with taxidermy animal heads over crossed rifles and spears. The servants neither seized him nor glowered on him nor hustled him in any way. When they came to the bare oak foyer of the house, one of the servants clasped a silver piece into Jack's hand. Then they opened the door and extended their hands towards the knight. Thank you, Jack said. The servant made no expression. Jack walked out onto the cool street of Terrace Tunnel Hill. 